Welcome and thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. The Grit and Grace sermon series continues. It's where we look at women in the Bible. But today's woman didn't really exist. It's the character of a woman as portrayed in Proverbs 31. Here's First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page with the sermon, The Noble Woman. That's such a perfect song as we enter this text because we read of a, of a figure that has consecrated every aspect of her being to the Lord God. And it's out of Proverbs 31, and starting at verse 10, and it goes like this. A noble woman who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ship of the merchant. She brings her food from far away. She, she rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and she buys it. And with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid for her household when it snows for all her household are clothed in crimson. She makes her coverings, her, her clothing is fine linen and purple. And her husband is known in the city gates and he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies the merchant with sashes, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She speaks wisdom and she teaches with kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And her children, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband too, and he praises her, saying, many women have done noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. And let her works praise her in the city gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, today we continue in our sermon series on women in the Bible that we're calling Grit and Grace. And we come across someone who is not, actually, is not, is not a real person, not an actual person. She's a poetic expression uh, of, of the character of a woman who is strong and wise and diligent and God-centered and, in a word, noble. And as I begin, I want to make a confession to you. In preparing this sermon, I asked a number of women about their thoughts and reflections on this passage. And I did that because as I started researching uh, this passage and looking at co commentaries and whatnot, I realized I wasn't reading or hearing from any female voices. So I thought, well, you know, let me just ask some women in the church that I work with, my leadership teams, and then read some, you know, thought leaders, some female thought leaders online about this message and see what I find. Holy cow, I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> Holy cow. Now, to be honest, I was more than a little surprised to hear how many women actually struggle with this woman, this fictitious woman that we find in Proverbs 31. 
And maybe struggled is too kind of a word. I think more often the word was disdained. One woman summarized the thoughts of many women that I heard from. She said this, the Proverbs 31 can be a little bit like comparing yourself to Barbie. (laughs) Now get this. She doesn't exist, and to think that you have to be like her is just painful. In fact, tragically, one of the most often repeated statements to me by the women that I heard from was how men, particularly men, and particularly pastors and other well-meaning women leaders, taught these verses in a way that brought real pain to their souls. See, it apparently has been taught in a way that created unrealistic expectations. And as therapists often say, expectations are premeditated resentments. Amen? Because that that space between unrealistic expectation and the reality of our life gets, that space in between often gets filled with self-doubt and self-condemnation and a sense of a low self-worth because we can't measure up to what is expected. So if people expect you to be exactly like this woman, resentments are sure to follow. So let me say this, and I'm very, very serious about this. As a man, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, I want to sincerely apologize. I want to sincerely apologize for all the men and all the leaders and even women leaders who have caused you pain through these verses. That was never to happen. Let me assure you that the point of this passage is not you have to be her. And just because you're not married like her, or a mother like her, or an entrepreneur like her, or you don't get up early like her, doesn't mean you don't measure up as a woman before God. And perhaps to help our way through this passage a little bit is for us to understand the type of genre, the type of literature uh, Proverbs is. See, Proverbs is highly metaphorical. It's poetic writing. And poetry is not like discourse. It's not like narratives that might give directives and laws and the Ten Commandments. These are not commandments saying you need to be an early riser, an entrepreneur, a seamstress, a fancy dresser, a supermodel, blah, 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 blah. That's exhausting just saying that. Now look, I might be wrong here, but I don't think God is all that concerned about what time you wake up in the morning. And I don't, amen, right? (laughs) And and, and I don't think, I don't think, you know, that he's really concerned whether you make or not make your own clothes. In fact, I'm sure he's pretty happy that you save time by shopping at Ross's, okay? I'm sure he's pretty happy about that. So I don't want you to get all hung up on the flurry of activity of this figure that we read. Her activity, the more important thing that is her activity is a reflection and an expression of her character and especially the grounding of her identity as a woman who fears the Lord. And what I mean by that is one who centers and organizes her life around the God of the universe. So I want to make this very clear from the outset. Real women of biblical nobility are noble not because they are a tireless, unfaltering, flawless queen of domesticity, but because they find and they keep finding the love and forgiveness and their identity and their worth that God gives them simply because you are his beloved daughter and nothing else. 
as my brother Jason pointed out before service, we are noble because he makes us noble. Now, this might seem like a paradox, but that being said, I want you to hold two hold two truths together as we move along down these passages. It's from a writer, Richard Foster. And he says this, truth number one is this, God loves you where you're at, not where you're supposed to be. Ladies, embrace it, internalize it, hang on to it. God loves you where you're at, not where you're supposed to be. That's truth one. But truth two goes like this, but he loves you way too much to let you stay that way. Now, I know that sounds paradoxical, but growth is his goal for your life. Now, I've already pointed out that you will never be loved more or loved less than you are right now. Nothing you can do could ever change that. But there is an invitation here to live at a greater level, not a greater level of hyperactivity, but a greater level of substance, of depth, of nobility. So let's look at a few features that that God calls us to live up into. Verse 10, it starts out, a noble woman who can find she's worth far more than jewels. And by the way, the woman can mean both woman or wife. It's, it's, it's the word in Hebrew can mean either of those. And I make that point all, because although she's depicted here as a wife, she is most basically a woman. And that's why these verses have a wide application. And what I find fascinating here is that the word noble in Hebrew, the word noble in Hebrew means this, might, strength, power, virtue, valor, substance. Man, ladies, is that pretty good? Wouldn't you want to be like that kind of woman? Now, let me point out something crucial here that might save us from being a little resentful towards this passage. The expression, a noble woman, is rarely used in the Old Testament. In fact, it's used only once towards a real woman. When it's not spoken in the, in the abstract, noble woman is used only for one real woman, and that woman's name is Ruth. Now, if you can remember from my sermon last month, which I'm sure you have that sermon memorized by now, circumstantially, Ruth's life looks nothing like the, wife, uh, like the life that we see of this woman in Proverbs 31. For most of the story of Ruth, Ruth is neither a wife nor a mother. She didn't spend her days making clothes for her husband and family because for most of the book, she has no husband. She was widowed. And Ruth's children didn't rise up and call her blessed because she was childless. And she didn't spend her days exchanging fine linens with immigrants or keeping an immaculate home because she worked all day in the sun doing the back-breaking work of gleaning grain from other people's fields, which means that she was among the poorest of the poor in Israel. And as she is living this way, this is what's interesting, as she's living this way, people notice, the people around her notice something great about her. And when this guy Boaz, a prominent Jewish man, lets Ruth know how others see her, how others see her before she gets married, before she has a child, before she becomes wealthy, before she becomes influential, he says this in Ruth chapter 3. He says this, all my fellow townspeople, meaning all the people around you, Ruth, know that you are a woman of noble character. And that is the exact same phrase in Hebrew that we see in Proverbs 31. See, my point by spelling that all out is because Ruth is, a, Ruth is identified as a, as a noble woman, a woman of valor, a woman of virtue, not because she checked off some to-do list in Proverbs 31. She didn't check off the box, got married, clean house, produced child. She is called noble because she lived her life with incredible wisdom 
incredible strength and a very deep love. So be assured, the greatest real example of a noble woman was actually a single woman, was a poor woman, a woman who suffered greatly and was childless. Moreover, I refer to Ruth because, because it expresses something very crucial for women. It is not your roles and it is not your marital status that is the crucial thing, but it's the godly character you bring to those roles, whatever role they are. That's the crucial thing. So what are some of the ways this nobility shines through in this proverb? I don't have time to go through all the verses, just a few, so sorry, I apologize in advance if I don't hit some of your favorite. But let's look at 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her and will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm all the days of her life. Now this word trust in Hebrew expresses a sense of well-being, security. It's when you feel safe. It's when a man has that sense of, you know, I, honey, I can really depend on me. I know you're there for me. I, I, I know you have my best interest at heart. This is what this idea conveys. So a noble woman wants to see the best. She wants to see God's best arise not only in her spouse, but in her friends, in her children, her co-workers, and others around her. That's why it speaks so much of what she does for kids, her employees, merchants, to the poor. She wants God's best for all kinds of people. My ladies, here's a warning. I'm going to come to a little tougher question on the other side of these verses where it talks about harm. Are there ways that you might be harming people, harming the men in your life? Now, when I say harm, I'm not talking about whacking them with a blunt object while they're sleeping. That's not the harm I'm talking about. But the harm that comes with a sarcastic word, a demeaning look, or giving the silent treatment, harm. Did you know that research shows that the greatest threat to a marriage is not frequent, uh, how frequent arguing happens or conflict happens. It's when one or both spouses speak and act towards each other with contempt. In fact, some suggest that contempt, not the frequency of fighting, but contempt is the biggest predictor that this marriage will end up in divorce. You know, and, and we show contempt by little things like that smirk, that the roll of the eyes, the put-downs, the passive-aggressive digs, contempt. Ladies, in all seriousness, if I spoke to your husbands, your boyfriends, your sons, would they go on and on about how you build them up as a man? Would they go on about how they are so encouraged by you, understood by you, made so secure by you? Or would they give me a, a different picture? Now, I know these are difficult questions, especially difficult questions for a man to ask a woman, especially in light of the fact that how many women are abused by men. But when it comes to the issue of harming each other, I need to ask the hard questions of both genders because how else can we get better? Now, I want to make something clear here about doing good and doing no harm because I think in, in Christian circles, this can get really, really misconstrued. The word does him good all the days of her life does not mean... She never confronts him. She never corrects him. She never disagrees with him or whatever it is. These words are not a call to passivity. They are a call to greater love. As one Christian writer, David Benner, points out about real love, he says this, love cannot ignore the things that are self-destructive in the loved one. 
A true soul friend will not accept our self-deceptions, but will gently and firmly confront us with our soul blindness. Soul friends want each other to settle for nothing short of becoming the whole and holy person they were called to be. That's love. See, true friends and spouses love each other enough to lovingly and firmly point out that which is harmful in the loved one. Because, and they do that because the spouse or friend has the other person's best interest at heart. So it is good for a woman to speak up when a man is straying from God's best. You do him much good when you do that, ladies. Amen, men? There's not too many men on that one. But man, I gotta ask you a hard question. Do you make it easy? Do you make it easy for your spouse, for your girlfriend, for your daughters to do you good by speaking the truth to you? Can you be emotionally and relationally strong enough to welcome such love? And what is the cost to your relationships, to your soul, to your family, if you can't be that man who welcomes that kind of love? Now, for the sake of time, I need to slide down to verses 25 and 26. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the times to come because she's so confident. She speaks with wisdom and she teaches with kindness. Now, I've noticed over the years that clothes, for many women at least, seem to be a very serious issue. Now, for me, I'm what you call fashionably challenged. If anything matches up here today, it's because my wife helped me last night. In fact, when my son was a toddler and I went and I, and I brought him to church and I dropped him off at the nursery and the lady holds my little toddler like this, holds him out, looks at him, and she says out loud so I can hear her, oh, I see daddy dressed you today this morning, didn't he? <laughs> Jab. Okay, so I'll never get a job as a fashion designer or GQ editor or whatever. My, my point is here, the writer doesn't mind a woman dressing well. He makes that clear in verses 21 and 22. She, she, she dresses herself in fine clothes. But the writer is calling women up into even finer clothing, into dignity, for example. Dignity is one of those traits, one of those traits we don't talk about much in our small groups, do we? Dignity. When's the last time you had a conversation about dignity in your small group or in church or some kind of discipleship experience? Maybe it's because we Americans, like, we find it too snobby to be dignified. I don't know. But dignity is important because, because it expresses living in a way that commands respect. Not forces respect, but it commands respect. It commands esteem. When I ask the woman, what does a woman with dignity sound like, look like, lead like to you as a woman? And very interesting, she said these very profound words. She looks strong and confident without the need to please, to prove, or push her way up. She is respected and trusted in what she does because of how she does it. And this is true whether she's a CEO, a teacher, an administrative assistant, or a mother at home. She relates to people with truth and integrity, and therein lies her success. Now that sounds like a solid woman of dignity, doesn't it? And I thought this was a great insight here because of the other word that's paired with dignity, strength. And the strength here doesn't just pertain to physical strength. It is, is a word that means to be mentally strong, to be emotionally strong. And later on, as we consider the unique challenges of women in our world, you're going to understand why 3,000 years ago these two traits have been written down as to be crucial for a woman's life. 
But let's move on a little bit here. In the vein of strength and dignity, the writer also writes about wisdom. Now, I like how one writer, as he was trying to describe wisdom in a kind of a unique way, he calls wisdom improvisational intelligence. I like that, improvisational intelligence. See, wisdom is that adaptable and skillful application what is good in the gray areas of life. In the gray areas of life. Wisdom is the ability to respond well to those times and conditions when the lines aren't clear, when the situation is ambiguous and uncertain. That's when we need wisdom to really show up. And at various times from up here in the pulpit or in my classrooms, you've heard me say that to live life is to live often in ambiguity. When I'm counseling someone, I don't even, I don't always know what to say. When I'm leading a meeting, all things, all kinds of things come up. I'm not sure how to respond to. Or when my wife's upset and hurt, I'm not always sure how to respond to her. You know, you get the idea? Ambiguity is everywhere. I mean, many decisions we make in life, perhaps the vast majority of them, are not clear cut. Whom do we marry? What should I major in? Should I move there? Should I take this job? Should I live over there and take that job? There's a lot of ambiguity all over the place. Now, data, facts, laws, they inform us, but sometimes nothing seems to add up and say, this is the right one, this is the correct answer, go forth and do this. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And this is why, because life is this way, this is why wisdom is not like a nice little option for a woman to discover one day. It is crucial. I can't emphasize that. It is essential in a world where ambiguity is everywhere. So a woman, so a woman who takes time to think deeply, a woman who preferably pauses and ponders before she speaks, before she acts, is indeed a noble Woman, my sisters, be wise, and you make this world a whole lot better. Now we come to one of the most important statements, I think, in the proverb. Proverb, Verse 30, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think this is a gigantic statement in our culture today for a lot of different reasons. First notice, it's not a woman who is married with a spotless house that is to be praised. It's not a mom with perfectly behaved kids who is to be praised, or a woman who's the entrepreneur of the year is to be praised, but a woman who honors God by centering and organizing her identity around the God who loves her. That's what the phrase fear of the Lord implies. See, when our identity is centered on and organized by and forged by the God who loves us, we now rise from and stand upon something that is unassailable no matter what anybody says. It's unshakable. It's unbreakable. When your identity is forged from the thoughts of God and not from the thoughts of men. As I studied for this sermon, I I looked at a lot of research articles that dealt with some unique challenges for women, uh, issues that related to their identity, or the issues of beauty and charm. And let me tell you, folks, the stuff I came across was some alarming statistics. Three out of four women, 75% of women, have some sort of body image struggle. 81% of girls, 10 years old, have a deep fear of being overweight or fat. In fact, 40% of girls at age 10 start dieting. 
Moreover, scientific research has shown simply viewing a Barbie doll, simply viewing a Barbie doll reduces body esteem and increases the desire for thinness in girls ages five through eight. Unbelievable. And the eating disorder we call anorexia nervosa has the highest death rate of any psychiatric illness, including major depression. The mortality associated, the mortality rate associated with anorexia is 12 times higher than the death rate of all the causes of death for females between the ages of 15 and 24. 12 times higher than any other cause. My sisters, when I read that stuff, I'll be honest with you, it broke my heart. Oh my gosh, the world you live in. Think of all the healing that can happen to a woman's soul if they took verse 30 to heart. Think what would happen if we, both men and women, lived into the truth of verse 30. Think of what would happen if women sent each other the message that being a woman who loves and worships and finds her honor from God is a far greater goal than beauty or thinness. And that being a woman of valor, a woman of virtue, a woman of nobility far outweighs the goal of good looks or the perfect figure. What would happen to the comparison that often happens between women? You know, guys, I know we're very competitive, but ladies, I got to admit, you're very comparative. What would end that game? and heal those wounds. Imagine if men sent women the message that your priority as a man was how she built her identity on the worship of God. And what if the church community could be that one place, could be that one place where women never have to fear of being ashamed about their body or about what they are physically. Can you imagine? And this is why, this is why I love, uh, uh, as a man, the surrounding verses of verse 30, 28, 29, and 31, because they, because they show pictures of men honoring and praising women as they deserve. Look at verse 28, 29, and 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband, too, he praises her. Many women have done noble things, but you, baby, that's the New Jersey translation, you, baby, you surpass them all. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works praise her in the city gates. See, now notice that we see a picture of a man praising his spouse to other men because that's what's implied at the city gates. The city gates is where you would find the leading men of the city making decisions and judging things and talking to each other about important stuff. He is praising her to them. Man, when was the last time you brought praise to your wife? When was the last time you brought praise about your wife to other men instead of having a gripe fest? Fathers, when was the last time you brought praise to your daughters or brothers to your sisters? When was the last time your bosses expressed genuine value for your employees? You know, I was talking to a, a female administrative assistant who shared, who shared a story where she experienced some of what we're talking about here this morning in her own life. And she said one day she came into work and on her desk was this big bouquet of flowers. And she found out it was from one of her bosses. And she asked her boss, you know, why'd you do that? And he says, look, I just wanted to express my thanks and appreciation for it. You've been working so hard lately, and I really been appreciating all your hard work. And when she explained that to me, I asked her, so tell me, 
what did you feel in that moment? What did you feel in that moment? And she said something, I think, that is so important for the heart of every woman. She said these three words, I felt valued. I hear a lot of mmms from the ladies. Is that pretty important for you all to feel? A lot of smiles, guys. I want you to check that out, all right? Do you appreciate that? Does that build you up? Now, some of you guys might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but why do I have to say it so frequently? Why can't I just say it like once every like six months? Why is it such a crucial thing for a woman to feel valued, cherished so often? Well, it's necessary to hear it often because of the world she lives in. Let me tell you about her world. One in three women are beaten by an intimate partner, not a stranger, an intimate partner. One out of three, one out of 10 are raped by an intimate partner. In fact, it's higher in Hawaii. It's one out of seven women are raped by an intimate partner. One out of four will be abused in some way in their lifetime, one out of four. And, and, and she has to be assured of her values, needs to be cherished because they live in a world where they feel like even from the age of five years old that they have to be thin like Barbie. And by age 10, they're dieting because they don't feel who they are is enough. That's why it's crucial that they hear frequently, you are valued, you are cherished by me. To this day, you know, it happens in many Jewish homes, you know, Jewish families that that, that celebrate the, the Sabbath on a more strict level. That these verses are sung or prayed or spoken by the Father before he blesses the Sabbath. Before he starts the Sabbath, he begins, now catch that. Before he starts the Sabbath, before he blesses the Sabbath, the husband blesses and praises and honors his wife in front of the whole family. He purposefully spends time to celebrate the glory of God in her. Can you imagine what happens to the hearts of kids when they see, God, when they see guys, their, their dads speak like that about mom? How many women have had important men in their lives, be it a dad, a boss, a mentor, a husband, a son, a coworker? who have spoken words of praise, who have spoken into their, li- into their lives words of potential. I see something in you. Who have had men who can see in them that sometimes they cannot see in themselves? Men, can you see things in the women of your life that they cannot see in themselves? Speak them into existence. Brothers and sisters, I want, I want you to catch something here before we finish that is crucial to understand and, and how we experience this passage, especially as a woman. After 30 and a half chapters talking about wisdom, mostly to men, the book of Proverbs hits its crescendo. Think of like that, that the burst of fireworks at the end of a fireworks display down like down in Magic Island, right? Right at the end, it's this big crescendo of display. And what do we see as the crescendo of the book of Proverbs? But a noble woman. And the crescendo of the crescendo is a man honoring a woman. 
And as several theologians point out, this ending is kind of like a replay of Genesis chapter 2 where God creates man and woman as equal partners, equal in stature, equal in wisdom, equal in dignity and value, and, and with absolute fearlessness between each other. That's what you see here at the end of Proverbs, Genesis 2, as it was meant to be between a man and a woman. And my brothers, we are here on this planet in part to lift up our sisters to become all that God intended. We're here to help her live into the truth and not believe the lies or live from the lives that drain life from her. Ladies, as we close, I want to ask you something if you can start doing. Begin to spend time reflecting with a gracious honesty. And it's very important that it is a gracious honesty. Begin to spend time reflecting with a gracious honesty about the lies you have believed, about the lies you have internalized over the years, the lies that create in you the belief that you still don't measure up, the lies that say that God does not cherish you the way you are, but only when you're supposed to be. And if you can, take this journey of reflection with someone else. It's very important. But make sure that someone else has a black belt in listening, has a black belt in wisdom, and not one in advice giving. Okay? Take that ride with others. And to close out, I want us to now uh, ask the worship team to come up, and I want you to listen deeply at this song that I think strikes at the heart of the journey of so many wisdom, the journey of that struggle to push back the lies that they've internalized and instead let God's unshakable truth forge who they are in the deepest part of their identity. As you listen, allow these words to tear down those soul-crushing messages of shame, of inadequacy, of not being enough. That message is so important for women, and quite frankly, it's important for a lot of guys, too. Before you leave here today, we're going to have people on my right and on my left who are prayer warriors that want to pray for you. And if you are a person, man or woman, that you struggle with your identity and how you're forging it and forming it and you're listening to the lies and you've internalized so many lies over the years instead of God's truth, can you come forward for prayer and pray with these people and let them begin to release you from these lies? And I pray that, that, that you would allow Jesus Christ to build in you an identity that is unassailable, it is unwavering, it is unbreakable. No matter what this world says or how it treats you, it is what he says, that is the truest thing about you. Amen? If you're able, please stand with me as I give the blessing. First, Lord, I pray for the women who are here today that their identity has been so shattered by so many lies, so much garbage from the world that has misshapened who they are in their soul. I pray now in the name of Jesus for freedom. I pray now in the name of Jesus you would break the bondage that keeps them so trapped, so shrunken, so small. And instead, Lord, I, I pray your spirit, breathe them, release life, a stretching of their soul to greater things. 
and now receive this blessing for all of us here. May God fill you with his truth about you. May your identity be, be not only forged, but founded upon his design for you, a design that cannot be broken, that cannot be undermined by the words of others. And may you take that certainty of who you are and who Jesus is and share it to a shattered and broken world that they may know the good news of God through you. May God bless you and keep you and fill you with his life. And all God's people said, amen. The woman in Proverbs 31 presents a level of character that's been difficult to impossible to obtain. But the driving force behind this woman is her love of God. That's something we can all learn from. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us, 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. It's Copyright 2019, produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.